Welcome to the Blister Podcast, a program dedicated to interesting people, the great outdoors, and a bunch of other stuff we like. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Travis Ganong might be the most well-rounded skier in the world. Just listen to this conversation. And he is certainly one of the most passionate skiers. Again, just listen to this conversation. He's a Team USA downhiller and Super G racer that is also obsessed with backcountry touring and big mountain skiing. So we talk about all of it, from racing and training, to catching the attention of Shane McConkey as a kid, to backcountry skiing, and more. So here it is, my conversation with Travis Ganong. Travis, how are you today? Uh, great. Yeah, I just finished training in the gym, and now I have all afternoon to go play in the mountains and relax. <laughs> Pretty good. I should ask, for those who might not know, where are you today? Um, yeah, so I live, uh, during the off-season, I live in Tala City, California. My girlfriend and I live here. She's on the Canadian national ski team, um, and I'm on the U.S. ski team. So we kind of spend our off-season based out on the North Shore of Lake Tahoe training here um, for, like, yeah, I guess the months of uh, May, June, July. And then the rest of the time we're off skiing. Oh, I hope I hope you aren't like sharing any national, you know, ski team <laughs> secrets or anything. Can we trust you? Yeah, I mean it's not rocket science. You just go <laughs> as, fa- as fast as you can from the top of the mountain to the bottom of the mountain, and you have to be strong, and you have to be healthy, and you have to be mentally sharp. And so, yeah, I mean, the training the training part's pretty pretty self explanatory. You just have to do the do the work and. It's really tough to do the work living here in Tahoe because obviously it's a beautiful place and we have the lake and we have the beaches in the summer. And on a, on a year like this, we'll all be able to ski pretty much the entire summer as well if I want. So, um, yeah, it's hard to like get yourself to get away from all those fun things and go into the gym and do that work. But it's really important to do that in the summer uh, so I can be competitive in the winter. Otherwise, like racing against all the European countries that those guys are only in the gym all summer, just working as hard as they can. And so, yeah, I have to take that time to be stuck inside in a gym, which is not the most fun, but it's, it's worthwhile. How has the training element of this stuff in the gym evolved or stayed pretty similar over the last like decade you've been doing this? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely changed a lot. Um, there's a lot more science that has gone into our programming now We used to kind of just show up to the gym and focus on kind of like football, like what football players would do, just like heavy squats, heavy deadlifts, just really linear movements um, and just trying to get like big and bulky to be a downhiller. That was kind of the philosophy, like just just pushing up as much weight as you possibly could and getting strong. It's really shifted in the last three, four, five years into more skiing specific workouts where we're really focused on being dynamic and moving and being efficient. And, and bringing balance and coordination into strength exercises. So a lot of the stuff that we're doing now, it's, it's, we're using like lighter weight, but we're, we're doing much more challenging movements, whether it be doing like a single leg squat on a slack line with weight or like lun- lunging on slack lines with weight and, and uh, jumping off of something, landing on something. Lots of, lots of more dynamic movements, uh, still like trying to get really powerful and explosive, but it's less about, yeah, less about being big and bulky and more about being like lean and dynamic and moving well. Um, so yeah, that's, and as I've gotten older in my career and I've had injuries and stuff, it's really been important for me to focus on, yeah, being a little leaner and a little bit more agile and, and healthy, just 
generally healthy instead of big and bulky. So anyways, changed a lot. Um, the, the main, the one thing that hasn't changed is we get to spend a lot of time, um, in the afternoons outside doing cardio, whether it be climbing, mountain biking, uh, hiking, paddleboarding, whatever. Like it's, it's really fun to be able to, to like look forward to doing those big adventures in the afternoons after being stuck in the gym in the morning. So that's, that's what I live for in the summer. Now, is that something that the coaches are generally encouraging everybody on the team to be doing, or are they kind of like, they know they kind of have to tailor this part of it to you specifically? Yeah. I think I'm a little different than most, uh, ski racers in that respect. I think, I mean, so I'll, I'll back up on, on my team, on the American downhiller team. Um, we're all pretty similar. We all love kind of the, the active outdoor lifestyle. We all live in, in mountain towns. We, we love that, that part of skiing and that, or that part of, uh, just being active and living in mountain, the mountain environment. Um, our, our European counterparts, like they, do a lot less of that. They, they spend a lot more time. It like really focused training in inside in the gym and, and the other athletes, even in the U S and Canada too. Like, I think when they're done training in the gym, they spend a lot of time, maybe like, I don't know, playing video games or going out with their friends or, or sitting inside watching movies. I don't really know, but we, yeah, I, I definitely savor every moment I can be outside and I use like the gym to motivate myself to like get my work done in the gym so I can go outside and play. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm, I'm also kind of curious. I mean, you just were saying that, you know, there's less emphasis right now on just bulking up and, and being as powerful and big as possible. And I, I wondered if you, if you think that's a safe generalization to make on the men's side, or, I mean, you still got some big, big downhillers out there. I think like back in the day, there were more big bulky guys racing downhill in the world cup there weren't really anyone small and one of the first guys who really changed that was darren rawls actually darren was a lot smaller than the other guys and and i'm also a similar build to darren i'm similar size to him where i'm 20 30 pounds lighter than my competitors and just a lot smaller and i i wouldn't say that it generally i wouldn't say in general it's that people are getting smaller but i'd say that that like with the equipment and with other ways of approaching skiing from a tactical standpoint and a technical standpoint, uh, smaller guys can be competitive now versus back in the day. Um, just with the way that we approach the sport and how we, how we push on the skis and how we take risk. Um, and in the past, I think it was, you had to kind of be a bigger, bulkier guy and just kind of use gravity to your advantage. And now, now, yeah, with the equipment we have, it's just, you can, you can, uh, trim line and, and do some pretty amazing stuff knowing that your equipment can handle those forces. And, and yeah, I, I don't know about that generalization on the women's side either. I'm not sure if they're, they're getting smaller per se, but I think the, the training focus has shifted from kind of being big and bulky to being more dynamic and, and movement focused. Um, and like, I mean, skiing just in general demands, it's, it's the most, it's the ultimate full body workout. Like it demands everything to work together. It's not like uh, sprinters who are really focused on linear movements or like high jumpers who are just really upwards explosive or, or whatever. We have to like resist forces. We have to explode off of our skis. We have to um, suck up compressions. We have to be really nimble and light on our feet. Uh, there's, there's, and then we have to have like that cardio base too, to, to withstand the not getting tired and, and recovering and 
it's yeah, it's, it's just kind of the ultimate full body workout. And and like if you look at, they used to do this TV show back in the day, like the Ultimate Athlete, or I'm not sure what it was called, but um, like Chrissy Chrissy Leskinen and like Bodie Miller. Um, I remember the year the year that they both did it. The the two skiers, the men, the men and the women skier, won the entire event, and they had like tennis players, football players, swimmers, um, all sorts of other professional athletes. And it seems like the skiers were always kind of the most overall dynamic and fit. And I think it just kind of is because our sport demands that. I like where you're going with this because I, I, this conversation tends to crop up like who are the best group of athletes and. It seems, though, that I, I tend to hear those debates come up around football players, soccer players, basketball players, and I like that you're making the case for skiers. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah I've I've done some like cross training. So I'm on I'm uh, uh, Cliff Bar is one of my main sponsors, and so we've done some athlete retreats in the past. Um, and I mean, all all of the Cliff Bar athletes are more kind of adventure sports, out like uh, gravity sports, kind of all that kind of stuff, and. And we're, they're all amazing athletes. And I've also done camps with uh, like NBA players and, and football players. And, and I think just those guys are extremely fit and extremely powerful. But, but the way that they move is very specific to their sport. Whereas we're, we're like more adaptable to different environments. And case in point, we just had this uh, um, team building camp down in South Lake Tahoe uh, led by Andy Walsh, who is the He's the head of Red Bull High Performance for years, and now he kind of has his own company, and he works with a bunch of Navy SEALs guys. And we brought in um, DeJounte, oh, what's his last name? He's, he's a point guard for the Spurs. He's coming off of a knee injury. Um, and he joined, he joined our crew for this uh, Navy SEALs training in the pool. And um, we did these crazy, I don't know, holding our breath exercises and like relay races underwater and and working as a team to accomplish these tasks um, where it paid to be fast. And where if you weren't fast, you had to do all these sit-ups and burpees and things. And, and I, I just was, it was interesting afterwards when we did our debrief that um, DeJounte was just commenting on how all of us skiers are some of the toughest athletes he's ever seen. Like he was just saying that how, like in his world, like, like the basketball players, they're, they're also working really hard, but like when it comes to just grit and determination, um, like the skiers were, he just noticed all the skiers that he was with, we were just, I don't know, super tough. <laughs> so it was interesting to see that perspective. No, it's, that's actually really interesting. And, and I, I kind of think about this a lot and like, I'm somebody like I actually grew up and as a kid, like football and basketball were my sports. Like I didn't, I wasn't a kid skiing, but I, I often think about, you know, and if you're watching like a gnarly downhill race it's like Kobe Bryant, you know, maybe would have rolled an ankle in his career or blown a knee, like kind of worst case. But that's what was in the realm of like, what's the worst case scenario here? And I think we can just say, right, it's like that, that sounds uh, kind of peachy if you're talking to a DH racer about worst case scenarios. Totally. I mean, racing down Kitzbühel, like just a sheet of ice and you're going 80, 90 miles an hour. Uh, you're, you're jumping like 150 feet off these jumps into compressions. And it's just, the surface is not smooth ice either. It's like, it's like uh, rattly, I don't know, kind of coral reefy ice. And yeah, your body takes a toll. Like as a skier, like it's, it's kind of a, 
a normal thing to blow out a knee and, and take a couple, like a couple times and have a couple seasons off. And, but like, the, but like the big injuries are like the, the career ending ones where you, yeah, you break your back, you, you go into a coma, you hit your head. Um, I mean, there's been a couple deaths in the last few years in ski racing and, and yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of risk. I think mentally that also creates athletes who are very adaptable and very aware of what's going on because of the, yeah, the amount of risk and the amount of focus that you need to push yourself out of the starting gate of a downhill world cup. Um, and, and it's, it's very intense and it's, it's insane. And the whole winter long, like kind of we're in that world and it's really stressful and it's, it's super high focus and it's draining. And so that's why like at the end of every winter, when I finish world cup finals, I'm so excited to get back home to the Sierra and, and get away from people and TV cameras and that stress and just go climb mountains and ski. And that's kind of my, my outlet, my, my release, my second winter more or less where I get to go. There's also risk. You're dealing with all sorts of different kinds of risk, like associated with the backcountry, but it's all a little bit slower paced and, and a little bit less in your face. And it's a little bit more, not more manageable, but it's just more, you're more aware of your surroundings and you're, and you're, you're not having, you're not having to take those huge risks. You can kind of, stay safe and, and, and enjoy the mountains in a different way. So in terms of thinking about this upcoming season, I mean, do you find yourself already thinking about certain stops and certain courses that you very well may be running this season? Yes. I mean, yeah, fully. Um, I, so the season ended in uh, March, middle of March. And so I've had the last kind of six plus weeks off um, and I've, I've completely turned my brain off and not been thinking about racing at all and just been doing other stuff. Uh, but I started training again in the gym, uh, six days ago, we had testing in testing in South Lake Tahoe and then started training again. And I use like, um, or once I, once I start training in the gym again, like that's the beginning of next season. So I'm already, yeah, getting focused again and using, using, um, these, these like venues and these tracks and like I don't know, to motivate me in the gym as well to work hard because I want to go back and be ready to compete at a higher level than last year. And last year, for example, I was coming off of a knee injury. Um, so last year was my comeback season after blowing out my ACL and my meniscus on both sides. And it was a long, long, slow rehab process. I was on crutches for eight weeks. I lost 28 pounds. Um, I whoa, kind of whoa, my- 28? Yeah, I lost. So I backing up a little bit. So I, I, um, I blew up my knee December 28th in Bormio, Italy. Um, and there was, yeah, a, a little over a month before the Olympics. So I was kind of peak in peak physical shape and, and really strong and just, yeah, feeling pretty confident getting ready to go to the Olympics. Um, and then there's the race in Bormio, the, the conditions were pretty gnarly. It had snowed about a meter and they kept delaying the race, delaying the race while they kind of tried to move the snow out of the track. And then, there was one big hole that formed in one section and I went into that hole and pushed pretty hard and, and got all twisted up and went into the, the bean net, went through a couple layers of bean net and didn't really hurt right away. But once I, once I tried to click my ski back in, I pushed as hard as I could and my knee like collapsed and, and I, it was like, yeah, it was bad. So anyways, that was the beginning of a long road back. Um, and then last season, uh, my comeback season, like I, I felt physically pretty ready to go at the beginning of the year but uh, mentally I was not really ready to take risk again I had to I had to build myself back up um, mentally by and, and the only way you can do that you can't really train for downhill on the world cup you have to the only way you can 
do it is to just jump in that start gate at the race and just kind of start uh, because it's, it's so hard to replicate World Cup downhill race conditions when we're training and it's, there's no venues really available that are full length and have the same kind of unique features and big jumps and we're, yeah, when we're, when we're training in the summer, it's a lot easier than what we race. So anyways, I, I felt kind of ready to go, but then once I clicked into the start and like started racing last year or this, this season, it took me, I don't know, four or five, six races to kind of get back to where I knew I could take risk, get back to that mental place where I was like, okay, I'm confident. I'm healthy. I want to be here. I want to push and see where my limit is and take some risk and be competitive. And so, yeah, it was, it was a struggle last year. Um, but then the last, I don't know, the last six, six, seven races of the, of the season, I started turning it on and I had a bunch of top tens and, and started fighting for the podium again. And yeah, it took, it took a long time to get back to where I wanted to be. And so anyways, long story, like getting into next season. Um, yeah, I ended, I ended this season healthy and I'm really looking forward to getting back to all these venues, uh, next year, healthy and motivated and, and fighting for the podium every weekend again to where, like where I kind of, I was before the injury. Um, and I'm thinking about all those stops all summer that, that gives me motivation throughout the whole summer to, to work hard. And, and yeah, this window in my life is super short to be competing at the highest level. And I need to fully commit to it and take advantage of it while I can, because it's going to be over, um, before I know it. And then there's, I mean, there's all of those other things in life that I can focus on afterwards, but yeah, I'm really dedicated and focused to that right now, at least. So Am I right that you started racing World Cup in like 2010? Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, exactly. My first World Cup um, was in 2010 in Kvitsville, Norway. Or actually, I raced, I raced, sorry, I raced Lake Louise earlier that year in 2010. Yeah, that was my first World Cup. And that season, I wasn't even on the U.S. ski team. I was, uh, I was kind of an invitee on the team because the year before, um, I, was, I was skiing on vocal and Vocal doesn't really have uh, anyone, any any men on the World Cup speed tour. I was kind of the only one, and I I was not really getting the best equipment, and I had a I had a tough season the year before, so I got kicked off the ski team. Anyways, I yeah I had to I had to buy Atomic race skis and and tune them myself and work hard that summer. I went to to New Zealand that summer on my own and raced the uh, the Australia New Zealand Cup uh, series, which is kind of the one step down from the World Cup, and I ended up on the new equipment, on the new atomic equipment, I ended up winning the Australia New Zealand cup super G title, which, uh, gave me start rights for the Europa cup, uh, tour, which is over in Europe, which is kind of the next step up. And anyways, I kind of clawed my way back, uh, started skiing fast. And that's that fall, the U S ski team invited me to come train with them in Colorado and copper. And I showed up to that camp with just two pairs of super G skis and two pairs of downhill skis. And I was, I was starting to win training runs with all the guys with yeah, all the top guys like Bodie was there and Steve Nyman and Marcus Sullivan, uh, Scott McCartney. Um, anyways, I, yeah, I just kind of was, I don't know, it was crazy. And so the coaches put me into the first world cup of that season when I wasn't even on the U S team and I had some fast training runs and anyways, that kind of kicked off my, my last, I guess, eight, nine years of racing world cup. Um, and it's been, yeah, every year since then it's, it's been pretty fun. If you think about where you are now versus where you were in 2010, how would you rank the progress in terms of physically stronger, better technique or stronger in technique versus 
mentally stronger? Kind of those three elements. Yeah, I mean, I think when I was a kid, I was I was really strong and healthy. I had no aches and pains, and it was really easy for me to just wake up in the morning and and go, and I and I could just jump on my skis and go down a downhill track or jump off a 60 foot cliff or whatever. Uh, it just was easy. And, and now that part's really hard. That part's like, <laughs> I, ha- I have to, I have to wake up like 30, 40 minutes early and do a long warm up and get my body awake and make sure my muscles are firing properly and, and making sure everything's turned on before I can click into my skis and go. Um, on the other end, like, like I'm so much mentally smarter now than I was back then. I'm, I'm able to handle the stress and, and I know, I know when to take risk and when I shouldn't take risk. And I, and I know how to balance those two things to lead to results on like super gnarly challenging downhill tracks where most people are just scared for their lives. Like I, I can, I can, I'm more aware of what's going on mentally. Um, and I think the same goes for like, for like backcountry skiing or big mountain skiing or whatever. When I was a kid, um, like skiing at squaw or whatever, I would just show up and go, go jump off everything and just not think about any of the consequences. And, and, and I did some probably stupid stuff and like my, and I probably, probably like looking back at it made my knees now like more sore or made my back more sore now, or there's, there's probably lingering things from all the impact and all the stress that I put through my body. But, um, now when I go home, I look at the mountain completely differently and I, I ski maybe more technical lines, but don't go as big. Or I like, love just finding cool new exposure steep stuff that that's like more intricate intricate instead of finding like the biggest cliff with the flattest landing to go off you know it's it's just i think about things differently i've learned a lot from all of my years skiing on like whether it be big mountain racing cross-country skiing backcountry skiing like I've, i've learned so much and i've skied so many amazing places all over the world in competitive environments and just for myself and and so now when I go skiing, I have a whole new outlook on, on what I'm doing and where I'm at. And, and I appreciate it so much more. Whereas when I was younger, I was just out there kind of skiing without thinking and just, just uh, pushing my limits and maybe being an idiot sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's talk and dig in more a bit about this on this background of yours. Where did you grow up? grew up in, in Alpine Meadows, California, kind of right on the side of the mountain. So like not, not the ski area, but right on the, the backside of Red Dog um, or the backside of KT more or less. So like my backyard was like a beautiful 1800 vertical foot mountain more or less. And you came up in a, in a family of skiers. Is that right? Yeah. So way back in the day, my, my grandfather, he grew up down in Los Angeles in Orange County and he uh, he built himself skis and wood shop in high school way back in the day before anyone was really skiing. And he went up to Mount Baldy and taught himself how to ski. Um, and that's kind of where that whole passion started. And then uh, my dad my dad grew up in Bakersfield with his brothers and sister. And my grandpa and my grandma, they had a house up in Mammoth, a little cabin. And so they, they every weekend would jump, hop in the car and drive up to Mammoth and, and ski every single weekend. Um, it was a huge part of their lives and my dad, especially he, he just fell in love with the sport. Um, and then he went to UC Santa Barbara and was on the ski team there. And he met my mom on this, like at a, on a ski trip through UCSD in uh, June Lake, actually in June Lake, California. And he's, a, so my dad's a doctor and my mom's a teacher. And so when my dad finished medical school, he was looking all over the, the Western U S at different mountain towns where, where to relocate to be a doctor in a ski town. Um, and he traveled all over the place and he, he ended up falling in love with Tahoe 
um, and he started working with the Tahoe Truckee Medical Group um, here in Lake Tahoe. They have offices in, in Tahoe City, Truckee, and Squaw. And they, he, he found this lot, this beautiful lot in Alpine Meadows, which was around the backside of, uh, of Red Dog and Squaw Creek. And one of, the, one of the like main reasons why he decided to build a house there and raise a family there was because he could ski to work. He could he'd skin from, from his, his back door <laughs> up, and, up and over the ridge and ski down to the office in the morning. And then after work, he'd skin back up the resort and ski back to the house. And, and so, yeah, he kind, of like, he kind of set his life up to be in the mountains and to be able to ski as much as possible and have that work-life balance of, of being able to ski a, a bunch and be in the mountains. And, and his commute was probably the best, <laughs> the best commute I've ever heard of yep. anyone having. <laughs> That's anyway, pretty good. And now he's, I mean, now he's 70 years old and he's still, every day he's working in squaw, he still tries to do that as much as possible. And obviously he's, he's doing it with permission from the ski patrol and in a really safe manner and, and obviously doing it, uh, like certain routes, which are very safe because that, that whole side of the ridgeline is very avalanche prone. So where he's going is he's, he's making sure it's very safe and doing it responsibly, I guess I'd say, but I and that's how I learned how to back into ski actually is because I would in the mornings on his way to work I would join him and I'd skin up to the ridge and then I would ski back ski back down to our house and go hop on the school bus and go to school and that would kind of be my dude my my morning <laughs> uh every once in a while I get to go do that with him in the morning which is super fun um so that was my intro to uh, to backcountry skiing. Okay, so wait a second how how old are you How old are we talking here uh, Oh wow. Um, <laughs> nine or 10. And, and, uh, yeah, I mean, on super old, like, like Dina fit pin bindings or like, and then they had like the, the Fritchie free ride, like these plastic things that were pretty, pretty bad. The and, worst binding I've ever skied. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And, uh, so yeah, that was my intro to, to backcountry skiing. And it kind of started a whole, it opened up a whole new world to me of, of access and how to be in the mountains. And, and I mean, I, I love skiing at the resort and like just getting the the mileage in that you get at the resort and be able to jump off stuff and really push your limits. But I also love just being away from people and being in the woods and connecting with nature and having a little slower pace of, of skiing and, and, and looking at things with, from a totally different viewpoint because you're obviously all alone and there's nobody there to help you. So the, the risk is completely different. Um, yeah, it's super fun. So, okay. So you are, you're getting into backcountry skiing by, hanging out with your dad on his way to work this is when you're like eight or nine years old when were you first clicking into skis and and i guess uh skiing in bounds um yeah i think i was like one and a half two years old um i have a i have a twin brother and so uh my twin brother and i learned to ski at the same time uh, from my mom and dad at squaw and i have two older sisters um Megan and Allie and Megan was on the U S ski team. So she was, we were going to races, uh, like when we were really little, like watching them race and traveling around. And so, yeah, we were, we were a full on skiing family, ski racing family. And my, my oldest sister, Allison was also racing. So, um, we all grew up skiing together and, and yeah, grew up on like, we all were on the mighty might program at Squaw Valley. So like starting with like the, the green stars all the way to like the, purple stars or whatever i don't remember the ranking system anymore and then on the squaw valley ski team um and this was back before they had like a big mountain team or whatever and we we like dabbled a little bit in freestyle we did like a week or two on the freestyle team and i wasn't i wasn't into being stuck in a bump score so i wanted to <laughs> have, have more freedom so i i didn't do that for very long but i 
but I loved growing up on the Squaw Valley ski team because that team was amazing the way that they kind of structured everything. We, we would train three, four, five runs, and then the coaches would make us go lap KT for like six, seven, eight runs after training on our race skis or on our free skiing skis, depending on the conditions. And, and that taught us how to be such well-rounded skiers and, and free skiing was such a huge aspect of being on the team back then. And we also had a rule, I think it was like the, the three inch rule. If it snowed more than three inches, we wouldn't even attempt to put gates in the ground. We'd just go out and have fun and go ski. And, and that right there is like the main reason why I think Squaw has produced so many U.S. ski team and Olympic athletes, whether it be racing, freestyle, and then also big mountain skiers and, and slope style, half pipe, everything. I mean, it's just, we all grow up, we, we train a bit, but we, it's more about skiing. It's more about being in the mountains and, and falling around your buddies and also skiing with other pro skiers who are older and better than you and, and following them around the mountain and learning from them. That was like the best way to learn. Like I remember when I was a little kid, um, I, I got to ski around with Shane McConkey a bunch, which was, which was super inspiring. And, and I had this little secret zone on Red Dog where I would, I like the first day I met him, we rode up the chair together and I was like, Hey, follow me. Like I, like I have this little zone. And so he followed me and we <laughs> skied like, we skied like waist deep powder on this little secret spot in Red Dog in the Scully and had a super fun time. And then we, yeah, we skied together a bunch from then on, but, uh, yeah, just growing up on the squat team, skiing at the resort really shaped who I am as a skier and, and prepared me for the world cup and, and prepared me for all other aspects of skiing. And, and the one thing I always tell myself from a mental standpoint is like, I, I grew up skiing at Squaw and I've jumped off pretty much every cliff there and skied some of the gnarliest inbound strain anywhere in the world. And so if I can do that, I can, I can for sure go down this world cup downhill track. <laughs> that's how I justify it. And that's, translated over to like I did a I did a Warren Miller shoot up at Points North Heli Skiing in Alaska and obviously things are much bigger scale up there they're massive and so like you have to change your perspective but but like standing on top of the line in Alaska is, is very similar to standing on top of, of the World Cup downhill track in the start gate or standing on top of like I don't know say Eagle's Nest at Squaw right like getting ready to drop in and like mentally going through your, your checklist of what you're going to do and where you're going to turn and how you're going to approach the line and the risk. And yeah, that's, it's all very similar. So you're growing up around some great bump skiers. You're growing up hanging out with Shane McConkey. You've got sisters on the U S ski team. I mean, you're, you're just in the thick of it, but I, I guess I'm curious, when was it that you really started thinking about maybe I've got this particular path in ski racing? Yeah, so there was there was a very pivotal moment. Um, I'm not sure how old I was. I think I was maybe 14 years old, or maybe yeah, probably 14, 13, 14. And it, we were having an amazing winter back at Squaw. Um, it was dumping snow. It was all time conditions, and I had gotten really comfortable like with the big mountain skiing side of stuff. And so I was really starting to push the limits of what has been done before at Squaw. I started skiing lines that had never been skied and started jumping off things that had never been jumped off. And I, I kind of gained the attention of, of uh, Scott Gaffney, who is a, he's a, he's a filmer for Matchstick Productions, and, and Shane McConkey and Ingrid Backstrom and, like, Cody Townsend and those kind of guys. Like, I started spending a lot of time skiing with them. And there's one moment in particular, one morning, where I first chair on KT, I, I hiked up uh, the backside of Eagle's Nest, and normally first run people are always heading to the fingers or whatever, but like the spines on Eagle's nest just looked amazing that day. So I hiked up there 
Um, and a local photographer, Jason Abrahams, he was on the ridge next to me getting ready to take a photo. And, and I dropped in and I made like three or four turns down. It's called like the X line on the, on skiers left at Eagle's Nest. And it's, it's nobody really, I don't know, makes turns on it. And so I, I was like 13 or 14 and I kind of made turn, linked these turns down it and jumped off the end and like, and then skied down like the, the, the baby fingers, which are right below it and, and kind of stopped at the bottom and, and Shane and Scott were standing on the ridge watching and they skied down to me and they're like, holy shit. Like that was, impre- <laughs> that was impressive. That was super cool. Like, like, uh, wow. Like, and I, I was really tempted to kind of at that moment, maybe stop racing and kind of cha- change my path. And, and I had probably a really good opportunity if I wanted it. And I just remember going back and forth with this struggle in my head and, and, um, sitting down with Scott Gaffney one day and he was, he was just like, listen, like you, like, and at this point I was already really accomplished racer. I was, I was the best ranked, uh, junior in the world for downhill and super G. Um, and I, I had had good results at like Whistler cup and, and, um, and at world juniors and other, other big events, or I guess not quite world juniors yet, but younger, younger events. Um, and yeah, he was just like, Hey, listen, like, like ski racing, a lot of, a lot of, guys who I film with who are big mountain skiers were all, they were all ski racers before and they all were going down the same path you're going down. And a lot of them didn't quite make it and they have regrets, I think. And they wish they kept with it longer. And I, and he just, he just told me like, listen, like you should really dedicate yourself to racing because it's probably the, the toughest Avenue of, of skiing to be a competitor and it's not going to last forever. And when you're done, you can always come back and, and do some stuff with us or, or do some different types of skiing. But like the window when you can be competitive and racing is very short and you should just continue down that path. And so, and my dad kind of reiterated those same words and yeah, looking back at it, I'm super happy that I stuck with racing. Um, it's opened up a lot of really cool opportunities and, and it's been amazing to, to kind of make the progression from back then to being, on the, the, the A team of the US ski team for the last six, six, seven years, racing on the World Cup, representing our country in the Olympics, uh, winning World Cup races, winning world championship medals. Um, yeah, it's been it's been an amazing journey and I, I'm so happy I stuck with racing because I know the free ski world is tough. And yeah, I'm, I'm ha- I can always kind of go into that and do that for myself later in my career, but I'm, I'm really happy I'm, I stuck with racing and that's what I'm still doing now. I am curious if as you were coming up as a racer, if you were particularly watching one or two skiers um, and just loved watching them race or thought there's things I can maybe learn from watching? Definitely. I think, I think growing up in squaw, um, I was kind of naive a little bit to the racing world. When I was a kid, I was more entrenched in like the free ski world because that was kind of what we were seeing every day growing up in squaw. And so Definitely watching guys like uh, yeah, like Shane McConkey or like girls like Ingrid Backstrom or Jamie Burge or just kind of the local big big time skiers back in the day. Um, I definitely I definitely wanted to do that. I wanted to be like that. I, I didn't really want to be a racer. I wanted to do that. But once I once I started getting older and 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 being be- having better results as a racer and getting to travel. Um, and being more aware of like the world cup and all those opportunities. I definitely, I I remember the first like real time of watching a ski race was probably 1998, like the Nagano Olympics, uh, when Herman Meyer had that crazy crash when he did the the crazy flip off the jump and went through all the B net. And 
was covered in powder snow and got up and somehow was okay. And then won the gold medal the next day in the super G. I remember, I remember watching that and being like, wow, like that is amazing. Like I want to do that. That looks like something that is super challenging on skis and that, yeah, I want to be a downhiller. And, and so then watching guys like, uh, like Dan Rawls was probably my biggest idol as a racer growing up because of the, of his background growing up in Tahoe and his love of free skiing and then his work ethic of like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a smaller guy racing against all these, these big Austrian dudes, but I can, it doesn't matter. I can still compete and I can, and I can ski fast because I'm better technically, or I, I take risk differently, or I have my strengths and I have my weaknesses. Like he, he just, he kind of changed the mold of what a downhiller could be and look like. And, and I'm, I'm not a huge guy either. And so I, I loved watching him race and I love the way he approached racing downhill and, and just his hundred percent commitment to the sport and to being a professional and, and his work ethic. And, and yeah, so I, I definitely, um, to this day, I still talk with him all the time and he gives me little pointers and advice all the time about how to be better. And he shows up to world cup races still and, and like comes and gives us little talks and fires us up and, yeah, I've, I have a really good relationship with him as a skier and, and I have a lot of respect for him as a racer and a free skier and a big mountain skier and and back in the backcountry and motocross and all that stuff. Like he's he's such a well-rounded athlete and I've, I've yeah, I've definitely idolized him for a long time and tried to ski like he skied in, in, in a way, I guess. And we keep, we keep kind of mentioning, you keep saying, you know, you're, you're not the biggest guy. Roughly what weight are you racing at? Um, so I'm at right around between 190 and 195 when I'm racing. Um, and then the guys I'm racing against are anywhere between, I don't know, 210 and 220, 230. Do you cut a lot of weight, you know, when the season ends or do you, do you hover in that 190 ish, 195 range? Um, I kind of hover in that range. I, I stay super active. (laughs) It's probably, it's probably a, I don't know, not the best thing to do as a professional ski, uh, racer to, to not rest enough. But like when I, when the season's done, I, I just, I'm, I have so much energy to like go back under skiing and go climbing and, and I just stay super active. So I don't really have those big fluctuations, fluctuations. I stay pretty active. The, the one time when I did that, that big fluctuation was after blowing out my knee last, uh, two years ago. Um, and I was just kind of bedridden for the for, for six weeks and then, and then like partial walking with crutches, like for eight weeks. Um, and I, I, yeah, I lost 28 pounds and that was weird. That was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I broke my neck a couple years ago and, uh, it's just like, man, watching, just watching yourself shrivel, yeah. uh, is, uh, not, not the most fun thing. And, and honestly, like I'm still like, I'm just finally getting full range of motion in my shoulders and stuff. So even getting into, uh, you know, back into a squat rack, it's still not like 100% there. And probably I should have like actually done more in terms of physical therapy rather than just work a lot and ski a lot. But, but it sounds like you got your 28 back. It sounds like you're fully back to kind of where you were from a physical. I mean, if anything, I'm, I'm better than I was before, I think, because the the seven or actually the 12 15 years before that i never really had a big like season ending injury and those years and years and years in a row of of high level competition impact training repeat again over and over again like it was kind of wearing me down and and i was my back was hurting my 
my knees were hurting, like things were just aching. My motivation was a little worse, like suffering, I guess. And having a forced, having that forced break um, after blowing my knee out kind of, I don't know, reignited the fire in me and like gave my body time to heal. Cause I don't, I, otherwise I would, I would never, I never really gave myself time to heal. And, and now I, I guess I'm 16 months out of knee surgery and I survived a whole successful winter racing on the world cup. And, and now I, I finally feel completely healed and even better off than I was before, which was amazing. So, so dude, it sounds like you've got some, um, pretty, let's say high hopes or high expectations for this coming season. I mean, it sounds like I, I get the sense you feel like you're going to be in a position to be coming in firing. Yeah. I mean, that's always the goal. That's always the hope. Um, our, our sport is so finicky, like they're, and, and it's so close. Like the, the top 15 guys are separated by three tenths of a second, four tenths of a second. And so the difference between winning the race and getting 15th is absolutely nothing. And so, so yeah, I mean, like I, I want to be, put myself into a position to be competitive every weekend. And, and I feel like I'm, I'm in a really good spot to do that. Like ending last year with a bunch of good results, ending last year healthy and entering the summer training period, like motivated and willing to work and ha- I have no like restrictions either. So yeah, hopefully, hopefully, I mean, I'm setting my internal expectations and goals super high, but I don't like, I don't like to like talk about that kind of stuff. I just, I just like to, to like have that fire in me and use it as fuel. Uh, but then like just focus on living in the moment and having fun and, and, and enjoying the process and not being super focused on those, those end goals. How do you guys, speaking of goals, I mean, so on the American downhillers squad, are you guys talking about sort of team goals? Yeah, I think, I think it comes more from, I think each individual, like it's an individual, individual sport, but we work in a team environment. And so like, if every individual is, is focused and working on being the best version of themselves they can be, and they have their, I mean, all of us want to win races. All of us want to be the best skiers in the world. All of us want to elevate our whole team together to be one of the best, best teams in the world and like compete against the Europeans and beat them. That's, that's kind of all un, unwritten the way. We keep each other accountable and hold each other to that is just through our, our work ethic and being professional and, it's like a brotherhood. Like we, we live together, we train together, we, we survive racing these super dangerous tracks together. And every time one guy, one guy starts having good results, the, the whole team is buoyed up and lifted up and starts having good results. And, and it's been really fun last season watching uh, like Steve Nyman um, and then, and then Bryce Bennett. He's the, he's also grew up in Alpine Meadows right across the street from me, more or less. Um, like the three of us kind of found our groove and we were kind of pushing each other and, and, and feeding off each other. And, and every weekend it was pretty fun to, to watch that. And, and year, a few years ago, like with Steve and myself, uh, Steve won a race in Val Gardena, Italy. I won my first race the next weekend in Italy, in, uh, in, in Santa Catarina, Italy. And then Andrew Weibrecht had a couple podiums and then I had another podium. And it just, it's once, once the ball gets rolling, it's like we all feed off each other and, and it all, it all comes down to like the whole team, wanting to win and, and, and buying into that and, and working together and being focused. And if there's one person on the team that's, that's not holding up their end of the bargain and, and their work ethic, the whole team suffers. So, so like as team leaders and older kind of vet, veterans on the team, we have to be aware of that and like 
make sure we we address those issues before they become issues and and just keep everybody kind of rolling down the same road and and yeah it's an individual sport but the team dynamic is very important bringing this back to talking about this um interesting combination you've got going of being a professional racer and somebody who is just as passionate about backcountry skiing and big mountain skiing, free skiing. I'm curious if you are starting to see more racers coming up that maybe have that very, uh, I don't know if I want to say well-rounded, but it is, I guess, well-rounded. Is this becoming less unique where more people are like, yeah, I race, but I, I do like touring. Or is this still in your circles? Are you still the weirdo? Um, I think that like, like the older athletes, um, whether they be from Austria or Norway or Germany or wherever, like, or the US or Canada, all the older athletes are really getting into backcountry skiing. And, and they're, they're really enjoying a different outlet to, to ski. They're, they're all amazing technical skiers and they've all accomplish these amazing things and it's just really cool to see all these people getting into this new element of backcountry skiing which they never did growing up i think that's definitely growing on the other end i think i think younger kids are more polarized to be just racers or just big mountain skiers or or whatever at a younger age now Um, and there's a lot less a lot less kids that are doing a lot of different aspects of skiing kind of like what i did growing up just because the model, I, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to throw Michaela Schifrin under the bus, but like a girl like Michaela Schifrin, she, she grew up hyper in a hyper-focused training environment where she only trained gates. She never really free skied at the, on the mountain. She never back and skied. She never did anything else. She just was super focused from a young age in the gates and, and in the gym. And, and she's an anomaly. She's a, she's a superstar anomaly and, and what she's doing has never been done before. And, I don't think it's the model. I, I think it's, I think it's works for her because she's an anomaly and she's a superstar and it's, it's unbelievable what she's accomplished through that. But in the U S particularly a lot of the, a lot of the parents and a lot of the clubs of, of racers see what, what's, what Michaela's done and what she's accomplished. And they want, and they want to emulate that by at a super young age, having their kids only train gates or spend tons of time in the gym and not and not go free skiing, not go cross country skiing, not go snowblading, not go sledding. Like like it's super focused from a young age. And I feel like I feel like at the end of the day, all those skiers are not going to be well rounded, and they're not going to have the skills that they need to have skiing be a part of their lives for the rest of their lives, and 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 grow the sport and and become lifelong skiers, and 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 have the passion of to be a skier and to enjoy the mountains. That's another big part of it. Like my driving force to be a professional skier is just my passion for the mountains and my, and I love skiing and that's, that's what it all boils down to. And, and yeah, it's, I think, I think kids nowadays are, are really pushed at a young age to, to specialize in one, one aspect of skiing. And I think in hindsight, I think it's better, at least from my upbringing and, and what I'll have, hopefully my kids do one day is, is just ski for the love of skiing and do every part of, of it. Like be a, be a racer, be a big mountain skier, try the moguls, go, go in the park, go down, like, like learn how to slide down a rail, go back and skiing, like try snowboarding even like, or just whatever. Like it, it's all those things complement each other and, and, and give you skills that you'll, that you can use in every aspect of, of sliding on snow. I got to ask, how are your park chops? 
Uh, good, actually. I, really? So, yeah, yeah. So I grew up. So actually, this this goes back to the '98 Nagano Olympics as well. So uh, Johnny Mosley did the the dinner roll. Oh God! Uh, yeah. Trick, and and it was revolutionary. And so I remember, I remember right after that, I went into my backyard and built a big jump and just started learning how to do the dinner roll and like getting getting inverted and like just doing like like cork sevens and like misty flips and backflips and just getting after it and. I got pretty into it. I, I built a bunch of rails in my backyard and I, I built a, uh, a big quarter pipe like on my parents' chimney. So where we, where we grew up in Juniper Mountain, we get tons of snow, like 30, 40 feet of snow a year around the house. And so I, I built like a big quarter pipe and I built like a big tabletop off the deck um, landing on the hill below. And like, just, I, I was like into it. I was spending time in the park. I was doing like some half pipe competitions. I, uh, a, a kid, uh, Mike Wilson, he was, he was a, a really good free skier, um, from the East who moved to Tahoe, like er, in early high school. And we got to be really good friends and we spent a lot of time in the park together. And like, yeah, <laughs> it's funny that you asked that. I, when I was a kid, I, and like, I remember going down to Mammoth during races and I, I was back, I had vocal skis back in the day and they had these little, uh, plastic inserts on the tip that were kind of like, uh, stabilizers on their GS ski. And we would, we would go in the park and like jump off these like 100 foot tabletops and like on our race skis and like land and like these little plastic pieces would would fly off the tip <laughs> of the skis and like and like it got to the point in uh when i was racing nordic as well cross country and uh at, on the the north tahoe middle school and high school cross country teams and and we were we were turning like our our uh our backup skate skis we were we were uh turning them into tw- into twin tips we were melting them with the iron and like and like bending up the tails of our nordic skis so we could like uh we would like skate as fast as we could on the downhills and like there'd be we'd like make little lips off the side and we'd do like back flips and front flips and spin and whatever do 180s 360s on nordic um, skis on nordic skis and like we'd go we'd go um there's this one trail called lakeview that you climb up pretty high at Tahoe city cross country we climb up to the top of Lakeview and then there's like this pillow line like off the switchback that comes back to the bottom and we'd like ski pillows on our Nordic skis and and uh we had a, we had a race at North Star once and the the cross country center is at that mid mountain at North Star so we got we got lift tickets for the day to get up to the race and so we did the race and then after the race all my buddies and I on our Nordic skis we rode um the chairlifts at North Star the rest of the afternoon and like we're tele skiing on our skate skis and going in the half pipe and going off tabletop jumps on our cross country skis and yeah anyways I I I did a lot of fun unique things on my skis as a kid um and I I I wouldn't have done it any differently I loved it wow you really are you like you really are I think the world's most well-rounded skier this is (laughs) is crazy (laughs) so I have really funny quick story. I I'm, we were driving down to Mammoth once for a ski race, and we 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 would probably do that trip like five six times during the winter, back and forth for races uh, between Tahoe and Mammoth. And there's this one place in uh, in the Antelope Valley just before you got to Walker. There's this one little spot where I, I spotted this little this little piece of metal off the side of the highway, um, like multiple times on trips back and forth. And so finally. I was with, I was getting a, a ride down from a friend, like not even my family. And I was, I like started talking to them about this like potential rail. And I was, and I, I ended up convincing this mom of one of my friends to stop. And we put this like 20 foot piece of metal on the top of their suburban and, and drove, drove back to, drove back to Tahoe with it. 
and and I like set it up on some like logs or something and I had a rail in my backyard and that that to this day that I ended up like welding some legs on it or whatever but to this day it's still in my parents yard like buried in the manzanita somewhere um but yeah there's there's a moment where I was like getting into park I guess but 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 to this day like that's probably what I do the least now I I I more enjoy like skiing really steep exposed lines and climbing big mountains that I've never been to before. And like, and like connecting, connecting zones that people don't normally connect. So like, so like trying to ski from like Homewood to squat or Homewood to Alpine Meadows and like, and like exploring like these cool new traverses that people don't normally do and like spending more time just connecting. Yeah. Connecting places and exploring new spots. Cause I, I skied a lot of places all over the world and, and I'm grateful for that, but I love, just exploring my backyard more and skiing more back here. So, so you are, you're back in training, you're in the gym these days. And so does this mean that backcountry ski season is kind of wrapping up now? Uh, or some of the bigger objectives are maybe done with for, for the, for the time being? Um, in a normal season, kind of like, like in a normal season, obviously this time of year, we start focusing on like skiing, like Lassen and Shasta and then like, I don't know, the 4th of July shoots off Barker Pass. And like, there's still skiing this time of year down in the Eastern Sierra. But on a year like this, after having like some record snowfall in February, there's an unbelievable amount of snow everywhere still. And so normally like training in the summer in the afternoons, I'm normally on my bike, like mountain biking a lot. Uh, but there's no mountain biking to be had yet. And there's probably not going to be good riding to do for another solid month to six weeks here in Tahoe. So it's awesome because I'm still in full on backcountry mode. I get to go like three, four days a week um, in the afternoons for my, for my, like my cardio sessions. I wear a heart rate monitor and I try to do my cardio sessions, climbing, ski touring. And, and I've, I've been able to do some really fun stuff. Like yesterday I skinned up um, to the top of Ellis peak, which is like the peak behind Homewood. And, but I did it like a unique way, like up this ridge line that I've always looked at from the lake and just, just went somewhere where I would normally never go. And, and like in the summer with, with no snow, it would be a nightmare to go that way. There'd be manzanita and bushes and whatever. But since we have 10 feet of snow on the ground still, it was, it was awesome just skinning up <laughs> this ridge and, and checking out a new zone. And then I get to have a nice, fun, nice, fun ski back down to the car. So, yeah, I'm super stoked to keep, um, keep like supplementing my training with ski touring, which is a dream, a dream of mine. Cause I like in the, in the winter, that's, I wish I had more time to do that in the winter. I don't have much time to, to do that. I spend the whole winter in Europe and I come home for maybe a week, the whole, the whole season. So I don't have a lot of time in the winter. So now I'm super happy that I get, or that we have good conditions and I can ski. If I wanted to, I could ski tour the entire summer until the snow falls again. That's how much snow there is here. So it's so funny. We, you know, cause you and I had been trying to connect for a few weeks here to have this conversation. And it was funny when you wrote and you were like, Hey man, I'm really sorry. I just have been skiing a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I yeah. now, I now have a full appreciation. And you, I think you even said you're like, uh, but if you know, the next couple of days could be good. Cause I'm pretty blistered out like on my yeah. you know feet or whatever. And <laughs> I'm like, this is all, this is all making a lot of sense now. I get it. Now. Yeah. Yeah. So I, right before I like had my uh, physical testing and like I started my gym training again, I was like starting to freak out a little bit because I was like all of a sudden like, Oh, my freedom's gone. Like I have to like have more of a routine now. And so but the, the, the couple of days before that, I went down to Mammoth to hang out with my, my girlfriend who was at a training camp and I was just ski, doing a ski tour. So I skied, um, 
Mount Wood, which is this like 5,500 vertical foot, uh, beautiful ski, classic ski descent just north of June Lake. Um, and I only had like a couple hours that morning to do it before I like had to be back to hang out with my girlfriend. So I like, I jetted up there early in the morning. Like luckily there was still snow from the, from the car all the way to the top. So I skinned all the way to the top pretty quick. And it was, it was long. It was, I mean, a big, big climb, like 12,600 foot summit and had like the most beautiful corn run of the year all the way back down to the car. It was, it was amazing. But, uh, from that, I was going probably faster than I would normally go. And, and it was pretty warm and my li- my liners got a little wet and my socks were a little wet. And so when I took my boot off at the bottom, I had a pretty gnarly blister on my, on my, my bone spur on my heel on my, my right foot. So, so I, uh, I kind of forced myself to take like two days off. <laughs> um, and it, and it like didn't really heal. And anyways, on the way, on the way back home from Mammoth, I like couldn't help myself and I ended up skiing um, out of Bridgeport on my way home, like up to Monument, <laughs> Monument Ridge. And I, I found this, I found this new mine called the, the Tamrack mine. There's all these like cool old cabins and skied up Monument Ridge and just was exploring this really cool zone. And yeah, I just couldn't help myself. And the heel kind of opened up again and started bleeding again and whatever. And <laughs> I don't know. I, yeah, it's still kind of, it's still not healed, but I, I, I'm still skiing and it's, it's still fun and it doesn't hurt too bad. So dude, this is, that's fantastic. And, uh, it's really good to get more of the details on, uh, this, this ski life of yours and, uh, this passion, full blown passion for skiing, uh, is, is pretty cool and, and pretty inspiring. And damn, I, I might have to go build some rails in the backyard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, whatever, whatever gets you outside on your skis and having fun. Yeah. Um, so for this upcoming season, when do things really kick off with events, world cup events? Um, yeah, so we, our first world cup is, uh, Thanksgiving weekend up in Lake Louise, Canada. So, so yeah, we, we train, um, we go to Chile in August for three weeks. Um, we come home for two weeks and then we go back down to Chile for two weeks. Um, so that's kind of August, September. And then in October, we're normally home, kind of one last in the gym training session. And then um, November, we go to Colorado to do our last like prep camp of the year. And then we start racing uh, Thanksgiving weekend. When, when are you guys in Colorado? Uh, we're in Colorado, like normally November 3rd until the 17th or 18th. And then we, we head up to Canada for the first race. And then we come back to Colorado for the, the Beaver Creek uh, birds of prey world cup week. Um, and then after, after that, that's the last race we have in North America for the winter. So then we head over to Europe, um, and we race in, yeah, in Italy, Switzerland, Austria, Germany. And then we're actually, we're going to China this year to test out the, uh, the new Olympic venue in China. Um, so that'll be a new, new country to cross off the list. I've never skied in China before. Um, and then we come back and have a race in Norway and then World Cup finals back in Italy in the uh, in the Dolomites. So, well, hey man, it's great to talk, and uh, I am going to be rooting real hard for you this season, and hope it's an injury free one, and and uh, it's going to just be really exciting to watch, uh, and uh, in this kind of this continuation of a comeback. So yeah, all the best to you, and and thanks for uh, for sharing this story with us. Yeah, no worries. I mean, I I love talking about it. Like it, it's. Uh what is it like middle of May almost now? Yeah. And, and just, just, just talking about this, like 
I'm so fired up to, to go ski again <laughs> and, and to like keep my ski, ski season rolling, even though it's the end of the season. And normally people are only focused on summer stuff, but that's, that's the beauty of living in Tahoe. I can do both. I can, I can go, go ski in the morning and go to the beach in the afternoon and on the boat or whatever. And yeah, pretty good. Skiing's pretty, skiing's pretty fun. Skiing is pretty fun. Still is. Well, listen, we will, uh, Let's do this again sometime because uh, it turns out we like talking skiing too. But yeah, for now, yeah, good luck in the gym. Get in that work before you go play outside. And uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you down the line. Okay, sounds good. Thank you. Thank you, Travis. That's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. Thanks to Travis for the conversation. And you can follow Travis's skiing exploits on Instagram at Travis Ganong. And if you are enjoying conversations like the one you heard here, you should also be sure to check out our other shows on the Blister Podcast Network, which, in addition to the Blister Podcast, includes Gear 30, Off the Couch, which is our running podcast, All Things Climbing, and our newest podcast, Bikes and Big Ideas. You can find all of these podcasts on the Blister website or your favorite podcast player, app, or platform. Thanks, everybody. Please take good care out there. We will talk to you again next week.